Welcome back for another preview podcast in our AFCON Daily Digest series. I'm your host, Alistair Howard. Thanks so much for tuning in to our Group D preview podcast. Whether you're here after listening to every minute of every podcast, or you're just jumping ahead to hear what about one individual team, we're happy to have you. If you want to get in touch, we can be found at OTW underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram, and on the Whistle podcast on Facebook, YouTube, and wherever you get your pod. Group D kicks off with a fiery clash between the Nigerian Super Eagles and the Pharaohs of Egypt. To talk to us about why Nigeria made the decision to sack Bernard Roar on the eve of the tournament, I was joined by Mimi Fawaz. I think the writing was on the wall, especially after the loss to the Central African Republic um, in the World Cup qualifier um, at home in Lagos in front of the, of, of the home crowds. And, and before that as well, they played Cape Verde and had drawn against them. So uh, Central African Republic loss was, I think, writing on the wall for Gernot Rohr. Fans were very angry. And then when you looked at even the, the media, the way they described it, they were like losing a home to lowly ranked Central African Republic. So the, the language around it was was um, was pretty strong. And I think fans just got really fed up. Um, when you watch them play in the last few World Cup qualifiers, it was very lackluster performance. And a lot of, if you look at what a lot of the fans as well were saying, if you watch any of the games, it's what are the tactics? What exactly were the tactics that Gernot Rohr was doing? It just, it wasn't the kind of football that the Nigerian football fans wanted to see. So I think from that match, days were numbered. And the Nigerian um, Federation President Amaju Pinnig, there'd been lots of talk that he would, they were negotiating behind the scenes in terms of, was there enough money to pay him off? Because don't forget, they were also owing him um, a few months' salary. And then as well, they, would, they had some funds that they had to pay him off. So there was a lot of that negotiating going on behind the scenes. But I guess Amaju Pinnig, the Nigerian Football Federation president, decided it's better that we, we get rid of him now we go into the Africa Cup of Nations and then try and build on it um, with the World Cup qualifiers for Africa, picking up again the playoffs in March. And the way they were playing, many fans were asking, Nigeria's at risk of not even qualifying um, for the World Cup with the performances that they had displayed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's been rocky times, you know, results against Sierra Leone as well in the, in the last couple yeah, of years. Oh, really, absolutely, yeah. Really disappointing. Um, but I mean, how do you think the kind of decision coming right on the eve of the AFCON, how, how do you think that will kind of impact the Nigeria, uh, the, the Super Eagles? I mean, Austin Egovan has come in, who obviously took, took you guys to the semifinals, I think in t- 2006. Um, how, how do you think that's kind of impacted preparations for the tournament? Yeah, Augustin Egovan, um, 15 years ago, took Nigeria all the way to third place finish um, in Egypt when he was a um, you know, former captain and coach at the time. So, again, it's been... I think it makes back. Um, some people have welcomed it, and others have are, have been a bit like mm, they weren't. They're not too sure about it. But I think the most important thing right now is are Nigerians going to see tactics that they're happy about mm-hmm. um, going into uh, the Africa Cup of Nations um, and just better style of play. So I think Augustin Eguavon, I'm sure he will try and put his own mark um, into it going into the Africa Cup of Nations. There have been lots of talk. We don't know officially yet that um, the NFF were going to appoint um, a coach. And they said <laughs> Mourinho was somebody that had been thrown around that um, Amaji Pinnick said he had mm-hmm. been consulting with. Um, but we were promised that a coach would be 
announced this week, and it would not be a local-based coach because Amaju Pinnick is in favor of a foreign-based um, coach again. So for now, Nigerian football fans are just going to wait to see if what kind of tactics Augustine Guavon is going to um, deploy for the Africa Cup of Nations. And they don't want to see what they had seen under Gernot Roy, as you mentioned, against Sierra Leone, when Nigeria gave away a four-goal lead and a draw against Cape Verde, as I mentioned. And then the final straw um, was that lost at home to the Central African Republic. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, ho hopefully they can kind of pull it together in terms of consistency, because when I look at the Super Eagles squad that's been selected for the AFCON, mm -hmm. I mean, just is one of the best squads in, in Africa, you know, and particularly that forward line is one of the best in the world. You know, you have some of the players who are the most informed players in, in European football, you know, Aussie men, Awoyini, mm -hmm. you know, Hienacho. I, I, I mean, looking at the, the squad, um, what, what jumps out to me though, is, is this lack of balance. You know, we have an unbelievable wealth of attacking talent, but then in the midfield, I think only kind of four or five guys were selected. And, you know, one of them is, you know, Joe Aribo, who's, you know, yeah. a tacky midfielder, you know, Alex Iwobi, who's, you know, <laughs> hardly a midfielder. So how do you think that they're going to be able to balance this squad when it comes to the AFCON? Again, I think that exactly what you've said is what many um, Super Eagles football fans themselves have picked up. Five midfielders, a lot of, when I posted that squad list on my social media on Christmas Day, people were like, just five midfielders? Ten forwards on the list? Mm -hmm. um, and as, as many were saying, you win and lose in the midfield. Um, so that's what Augustine Guavon has gone, has gone with. Of course, as you mentioned, Joe Rebo doing very well at Rangers in Scotland, who is on that list in midfield. And as well as, you know, Wilfred Ndidi, um, who is a powerhouse for Nigeria and as well for Leicester City in, in the middle of the park. So I think Nigeria are going to have to as well rely a lot um, on the forwards that they have, for example, Victor Osimen, um, who is you know, a talisman for nine years in fantastic form at the moment. He declared himself fit um, mm. just, what, a week or so ago uh, I saw that. <laughs> on Twitter. Um, he, I'm sure you remember he had surgery in November um, um, after getting injured for his club Napoli in Serie A. And, and the club had announced that he would be away for up to three months, which would take him up to February. So it was a big surprise when he declared himself fit on Twitter if his country wanted to select him last week. So you've got people like Victor Osimhen that they could turn to. You've also got Taiwo Awoni, who plays as well in Germany, in the Bundesliga for Union Berlin. He's as well um, on great form at the moment. So it would be interesting to see players like him, Victor Osimhen, if he can continue, he's been great for Nigeria during the qualifiers, the World Cup qualifiers. Um, and as well, um, Emmanuel Dennis of Watford, who has as well been on great, great form mm -hmm. um, for, for Watford so far this season. I know they've had a few matches cancelled because of COVID-19 cases, but that was a name as well that a lot of Nigerians were wanted to see in that squad list, and, and, and he's been included in there. So we're going to wait. We're going to have to wait and see. I mean, how, how long is a piece of string? I, I, I can't mm. tell you. That's the squad. <laughs> Auguste Guavon's gone with five midfielders in, in his squad list. And we're just going to have to see if he can really find that balance uh, between attack and defense. Mm -hmm. I, I think the, the final question I had in terms of the team was from for observers coming from the outside, there's probably a, a, some confusion as, as to the inclusion of the likes of Odiani Gallo and Ahmed Musa, who are obviously two 
kind of giants of Nigerian football, but also kind of players who probably pass their best playing for smaller clubs and in smaller leagues. Um, just how important are those two, both to the to the squad in terms of the Super Eagles, but also to you know Nigerian fans and the kind of ethos around the team? It's been quite mixed reaction, actually, um, especially mm-hmm. when uh, there was all the talk that um, Gernot Rohr before he was sacked and the Nigerian Football Federation president, Amadjo Pinig, wanted Igalo back to be recalled, mm-hmm. um, top scorer at uh, the last Africa Cup of Nations in Egypt in 2019, I guess. They wanted to get a bit, a bit of that extra support, I guess, up front. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Um, so yeah, so they asked for Odion Igalo to be put on that list. And I think Ahmed Musa, Ahmed Musa, Ahmed Musa is the captain. Um, and I think it's more on, on a sentimental basis, probably, um, that they've put him on that list and just to help maybe the morale of the team. But if, mm-hmm. as I said, if you look at the squad list, what they've got up front, even Kelechi and Acho, they've got, like, as you said, so many quality um, players, we saw Kalechi Henacho, um, you know, just this weekend doing so well mm-hmm. um, in the Premier League. So it's Igalo is just, I guess, maybe a backup if 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 really needed. Um, and Ahmed Musa, I think, is more the morale and being captain, and he's given so much to um, his country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that makes makes so much sense. I mean, looking at the Afcon uh, with just just a few days to go with everything that's been going on with with the Nigerian team what do you think is kind of the, the expectations back home is it you know we have an amazing team we need to be going and competing with you know Algeria and Senegal and kind of going for the title or is it look there's been a lot of chaos we've got a good young team you know we'll see how it goes but we're building for the world cup we're building for the next next afghan again you pretty much answered the question in, in what you've just said, just even by looking um, at the reaction from fans on my social media feed and even on the official pages of the Nigerian Football Federation, some of them are saying, you know, let's let's be serious. Is the preparations that great ahead of the Africa Cup of Nations? Are we really going to do that well? Some, some have doubts. Um, others are saying is just use it as a, a platform just to get ready for um, the World Cup um, qualifiers playoffs for Africa which take place again in March so they just see it as a, prepar- a preparations but some have no expectations but when the tournament kicks off come on let's be honest mm-hmm. everybody's going to be like expect- always there. <laughs> everybody, mm-hmm. everybody is going to be expecting a lot from from Nigeria and we were seeing all these countries naming their squads ahead of the Africa Cup of Nations, naming friendlies with other countries in Nigeria wasn't naming anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nigeria hasn't listed who they're going to be playing in a friendly ahead of the Africa Cup of Nations, whereas we've had other countries who've who've been announcing. It was only on Christmas Day that they announced the, lit, the squad list, and then they said that they would be camping in Abuja, Nigeria, um, mm-hmm. ahead of the tournament kicking off. So some fans may have mixed reaction that they're not expecting too much now, but honestly, once the tournament kicks off, People are going to be watching mm-hmm. and expecting results. Don't get this wrong. Nigeria has quality, as you said, quality individual players, uh, especially when you look at the attacking line. We're, we're very strong, but it's really finding that balance um, between forwards, the, the middle of the park, and as well, the, defensively, Nigeria as well needs to tighten up as well a bit on the back. So I think when, once the tournament kicks off, fans will be expecting Nigeria to definitely... Um, 
at least the very least replicate what they did coming third last time or, or even going further. Thanks to Mimi and for her insight. Next up, we had a familiar face join us. Ahmed Youssef, our in-house Egypt and North Africa expert, joined me to talk about Egypt's form coming into the Cup of Nations. The last couple of years haven't been Egypt's best in terms of in terms of the results on, on the national front. And um, you kind of wouldn't expect that with Mo Salah, um, you know, the way he's ex excelling, you'd expect the national team to be improving a lot. Um, but I think yeah, the, the team has struggled and we've seen how we've gone through a number of managers recently as well. Um, and none of them have really managed to kind of solidify some sort of um, playing style that, that has helped the team and, 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 and also um, been accepted by a lot of the fans. But um, yeah, I think there's a, there is starting to come a lot of pressure on Salah um, to, to win something for, for Egypt. Um, he's still... Got, I think you know probably a couple more Afcons to go, but mm -hmm. um, you know there is a real pressure on him um, to kind of help Egypt uh, with something because it's been now um, yeah over ten years since we last won continental trophy, which um, it's quite it's quite a big deal for, for Egyptian fans. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you have probably the best player in the world playing for the team that is the Afcon, you know, team, it's the pedigree is so high in Egypt in terms of winning this competition that the pressure must be immense. You're talking about kind of changing managers, and Carlos Quiroz has come in, um, you know, just in September. Obviously, hugely experienced manager. You know, first of all, why why did he come in, and you know, how has how has he done so far? He's had really little time to prepare for this with just a few games. Yeah, I think um, if you look at Egypt's previous couple of managers, you had Hector Cooper, who helped Egypt in well get into the World Cup, but his playing style was very defensive, and and I think that's actually in a way carried through. Um, so you had Javier Aguirre, and then most recently Badri. That same playing style that Cooper instilled into these players has continued, and it was a very negative playing style. It was holding the ball, you know, holding the ball deep and then having one long attacker, which usually is Mo Salah, and long balls over the top. Um, it wasn't great for the fans and you could scrape a result here and then. That's how we got into World Cup, by scraping results, but it, it didn't get us far. Um, and I think now um, with uh, Carlos Quiroz, there is a, you can sense a slight bit of change in the way that Egypt starts to play. It's a bit more free-flowing, a bit more passy, you know, passing football as opposed to just long balls over the top. Um, having said that, there are some games where you just kind of watch Egypt and you think, you know, they still haven't improved on, in the last couple of years. Um, mm. But Egypt did definitely need a new manager. Um, Badri seemed a bit clueless in what he was doing. And, and um, I mean, the results weren't, weren't even that bad, but he was, you know, he had no um, real mindset or plan. And, and there was kind of just discontent within, you know, in the country and the fans about how he was playing. Um, but yeah, as I said, Carlos Kiris came in. He was the first manager to win his first three games in a row. He, you know, having said that, those performances weren't great and there was clear work to do. And you can see now, especially in the Arab Cup um, last month, how um, he wants the, you know the, the Egypt to play. And because you know, he had a bit more of the youth players, you know, the homegrown players in this tournament, you can see he was instilling a bit more of his style in, into that. Yeah, I mean, just on the, the Arab Cup, the Arab Cup, obviously, you know, it's a unique tournament that's only just come back. Um, and, you know, there's a sense of, is it, you know, how, how much store do we put into it? And obviously Egypt got to the semi-final, but perhaps we're a bit disappointing in losing to Tunisia and, you know, didn't beat Jordan, uh, you know, in, in 90 minutes, they had to use extra time. You know, how much looking at it as, you know, um, a fan and a, uh, and a journalist, how much do you take away from that in terms of performances going into the AFCON? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a pretty 
um, you know, pretty good reflection of what we'd expect from Egypt in, in the tournament um, without Mo Salah, of course. Um, and he's something that spilling that, you know, adding on, he can add on to this team. But it, it, the team as a whole right now isn't the strongest it's, it's been and probably one of the, you know, one of the weakest teams in the last 20, 20 years, really, 30, even pushing 30 years. And it's, it, it kind of just shows, um, so yeah, scraping results against, um, you know, Lebanon. Um, is not something that Egyptian fans were happy about, and it, you expect to go into these games and, and be, you know, given this is a homegrown, you know, the, the team is full of homegrown players, and in, in the, the Egyptian league is one of the strongest, and you know, in in the Arab world, you do expect expect better, and um, yeah, the results were were disappointing for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it must be difficult to, to to draw conclusions when you're missing missing your star player. But like you said, you know, Egypt has, you know, going into the Afcon, one of the countries with with the biggest homegrown quotas. Why why do you think that the team is at quite a low ebb? You know, despite having you know probably one of your best players of, of all time in the side. Um, I think it's difficult. I think the, the team is kind of at a point where you have a lot of players who are in their thirties and they. They should have, you know, they should have been out of that squad five years ago, and there should have been a push for more younger players years ago. Mm. I think um, using, for example, Abdullah Saeed, who's in his mid thirties, consistently, you know, and he was he was too old in the World Cup, and he's still now playing in the squad. It shows that that's an opportunity for a new youthful player to be able to get into the squad and, and make a name for himself. But that's not they're not being given these opportunities, and I think um, I also think a lot of Egypt's previous success when it's when it's been a purely homegrown um, kind of team has been when it's all been like Ahli players or all been Zamalek players and this time it's, it's, it's not really very strong or Ahli and Zamalek players and there's a lot of fragmentation of different clubs which we mm -hmm. rarely see um, in Egypt and that, that could be you know something to do with it and historically under Hassan Shahedah Egypt was renowned for having really long camps before tournaments, and that was something that the EFA would help out with. Finish the league early, have a long break before, um, and I, I feel like now that's not necessarily the case. Um, that, that, you know, obviously, it's a bit difficult to do that, and especially with the amount of Egyptian players that play abroad. And I think we talked about it's not just Salah. There's obviously Omar Malmouche, Elneny, um, and so, you know, there's, again, there's a couple of others who don't start but are around the team who obviously also play abroad and they're not being integrated very well in, in when they come in just a couple of, you know, a week before, and especially with COVID, it's not helping. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, getting on to, to Mo Salah, obviously it's, you know, he's, he's a big conundrum in terms of the Egyptian squad because he's probably the best best player in the world right now is kind of untouchable at Liverpool and has been so good for Egypt. But, but I do get a sense when I watch Egypt that there's almost an over-reliance on him. You know, there's a desire just to, you know, hit long balls to him, to, to play everything through him. And, and you know, that that's that's not his game. You know, even at Liverpool, not everything comes through him. You know, he is lethal when he's on the ball, but he's not that kind of deep, creative player. Um, and and I, he's obviously struggled for goals recently for the Egyptian side. You know, I don't think he scored a goal in, in World Cup qualifying. Um, so what, what do you think is the, the issue there around Salah and, and how do you think Egypt can actually get the most out of him? Yeah, I think more than any other kind of player, if you compare in Egypt, like Senegal or Algeria, who they have um, Mares and Mane, but they don't have that same necessary reliance on them. And there's a lot of other players within that team that, that will take some of that weight and, you know, essentially draw players away from him, give him, you know, give that star player space and, and also... 
um, Mares and Mane happy to kind of drop in, play as ten, play up top, play wide. Whereas Salah's always fixed on that on that right side, and I think it makes it easier for the opposition to, if they know where he's going to be. Um, they know if they kind of get an extra man on him, he's kind of out the game. But also, it's it's weird because the, the other attackers that Egypt have are still are pretty good and, and are kind of highly rated. You've got Mustafa um, Mohammed who's at Galatasaray, and he's just this week um, at Galatasaray have activated the buyout clause on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, I think, scored um, you know, eight goals in sixteen league appearance in his first sixteen league appearances since he joined uh, this year. So he's got a good record in in a, in a good league. Um, and then, you know, recently we've been out with Trezeguet for a whole year, essentially with his ACL. Um, and he's going to just about make the tournament. He won't probably won't start, but, um, but just in general, there is a lot of competition for the other spots. But I don't think those players necessarily are. They're good players, but they're not players who happy to just take that responsibility um but i also think which is egypt's biggest problem is is that is the, the midfield behind aren't creative enough and, mm. and aren't um, comfortable on the ball enough to be able to get the ball to salah and, and sometimes you know you see when when egypt are playing they're sitting back so deep they'll get the defenders will get the ball and the midfielder just kind of hoof it long to salah instead of being comfortable to play it around the middle and then find salah um and I think that's kind of where he's you know, been struggling, and, and um, but, but hopefully, you know, we, you know, we, we haven't seen much of it on any, uh, you know, and he wasn't at the Arab Cup, and then even in, I think one of the last qualif- uh, one of that um, qualifiers, he wasn't even in, in in the game. But when he's back, um, he'll give a bit of that comfort on the ball that Egypt does need. And I, you know, sometimes I've been a bit critical of Elneny what he does, but one thing he does well is kind of um, he's, he's he's a bit more composed on the ball. And, and, and can find some outlets. Um, but then the other two you have is Amr Soleil and um, Afsha from Ahli, who um, I, I just feel, you know, if you compare them to the, the player, you know, the, the midfielders of the, tw- the, the early 2000s that Egypt had are, are just not good enough, um, not clinical enough. And we saw Afsha at the, at the Arab Cup and the amount of chance he was missing was just kind of, you know, you need, if you want to play that cam role, you need to help out in terms of goals and, and assists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it, it's really tricky because you know you have some of these players who play super well for their their club sides, but you know it's a hard to judge how you know high that standard is. You know, you, even at a team like Al Ahly and, and Zamalek, I mean, looking at the tournament, you know, there's there's you know a lot to going in Egypt's way in terms of some of the players, but you know there's a lot that hasn't been kicking on. What what you as a fan, what what are you looking at in terms of expectations for the tournament? Yeah, I think I mean. You know, there's definitely hope for Egypt to go far, and I think anything can happen with with Salah and with um, you know El Neni and some of the other players coming in. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think a realistic, realistically, I think a good result for Egypt would be reaching the semi final. I don't, you know, I don't think, I think there's just a lot of other better squads out there. You know, Morocco, Algeria, Senegal, um, even Nigeria in the group look really, really good as well. Um, and so. Um, I think you know a, a you know realistic target for Egypt is is, is semi final, um, uh, but I don't think we'll go further than that. I mean, I hope we do, but I, I don't see it happening. Yeah, well, I mean, this this is the tournament that Egypt have made their own over the years, so you know, hopefully, hopefully for your sake, they can they can do it again. And you're right as, as well on that kind of point. You know, you're historically going back. There's always been in every tournament that Egypt won. There's always been a favourite. You know, you had Ivory Coast, you had Cameroon, you had all the who had all these top players in in Europe at the time and. We, you know, managed to make it work. So yeah, hopefully that that happens. 
from Egypt to their neighbors in the South. Sudan have had an interesting 2021. They started off brilliantly, qualifying for the Africa Cup of Nations, winning three games back to back that they had to win. But since then, they've struggled. They had a disappointing World Cup qualifying campaign before crashing out in the group stages in the Arab Cup. I was joined by Abdul Musa to explain why the Falcons of Jedian have had such an up and down year. So to begin, um, as you said, there was a very impressive uh, AFCON qualifying campaign. I think there was a lot of stability around Sudan as a whole and around Sudanese football. Um, the FA had everything. They had a plan for the African uh, Cup of Nations qualifiers. They brought in Hubert Velud, which is a very good manager with a very good CV. I think he managed to stabilise things. Like he, he, he had a 23-man squad that he relied on mostly and he had them for, for a very long time. So he managed to, to build something and he managed to get results in the end. So winning the last three games against Ghana uh, with a 1-0, with a, with a last-minute winner in Sudan, I think that brought hope to everyone. That, that last-minute winner, I think that goal that Mohamed Abdelrahman scored against Ghana in Sudan, I think that brought hope to the whole nation. Everyone was behind the national team. Preparation was in place. A big plan uh, was put in place. Money was spent. Like They went, camping, they went to camps uh, in Morocco. So a, a very good preparation was put in place for, for the rest of the qualifiers. Managed to beat Sao Tome uh, away. And then the, uh, the big game was against South Africa at home and they produced. It was a very good performance. But as you said, since then, everything has gone downhill. Like, it's just, it's just part of the Sudanese mentality. They thought that everything was done. They thought that, yeah, we've managed to qualify. We beat Libya, qualified for the Arab Cup as well. That was part of the success. And then from there on, um, like, they thought it was, the job was done, basically. Like, uh, not, mu- not as much as important. Um, like, the, team, the, the national team went on to go. Every player went back to their team, back to their club. And, like, the, the national team barely came together for any camps, for any FIFA days since then. And I think that had a big effect. Also, uh, the recent change in FA presidency, there was an election that happened and then, like, everything, like, all the... Uh, all the news was just focused on that and they forgot about the national team. And sadly, it's gone downhill with the recent World Cup qualifiers, with the Arab Cup uh, results. It was humiliating and it was just a complete capitulation for the for the national team and for Sudan as a whole. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like it. I think, I mean, looking at the Arab Cup going into it, I think I would have seen, you know, it's a tournament that, you know, is growing and, and is hasn't been, you know, well well thought of historically in the last couple of years but you know this year they put a lot of money into it a lot of effort into it and and especially for Sudan a team that has you know many locally based players it really seemed like a really great opportunity to have a proper really competitive kind of essentially training camp before before what is kind of your biggest tournament in almost 10 years in, in the AFCON why do you think in terms of the performances you know is it just down to the the changes behind the scenes or in terms of on the pitch like what What's gone wrong? Because, you know, you got absolutely hammered by, you know, Algeria and Egypt, you know, probably two of the favorites of the tournaments. You know, there's no shame in losing to them, but I guess maybe the manner in which it happened and then obviously losing to Lebanon um, also on top of that was, was not great. So on the pitch, kind of what, what do you think has gone wrong? I definitely agree. I think all parties are involved, uh, even the players, the technical bench. It's not only what happened behind the scenes. Like if we watch the games closely that we played against Algeria and Egypt, as you said, they're big teams, but like even the, the basics of football, weren't there in those in those games like how to how to defend how to stand in defensive positions like simple simple basic things that that these players doing day in day out weren't wasn't there it wasn't to see like losing five nil and four nil 
it was very strange. Like everybody was asking, is this the same players that beat South Africa? Is this the same team that went on to qualify for AFCON? Uh, like we're still searching for answers, to be honest. We're, we're mm. still asking. Like, like the FA had a press conference yesterday to, to announce the departure of Hubert Velude. And people were still asking, like, um, why, like, why, 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 why these performances? What's happened? Uh, so we're still trying to look for answers. But uh, as you said, I think everybody's accountable for the for the humiliation in the Arab Cup. It was it was a very good opportunity for these players to showcase some talent, to to to, to try and perform on the big stage, on on very in very good infrastructure, very good pitches, very good stadiums. Everything was in place. And and it was a historical chance. I don't think they will qualify like any anytime soon again uh, for the, for these kind of for these kind of tournaments. Even Nafcon, we've qualified now after ten years, so they can't they can't keep missing these opportunities. So it was a real shame, to be honest. Mm, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's hard hard to take, particularly on on the on, on the eve of the tournament. Um, but I mean, the FA has responded, you know, very quickly in terms of you know Hubert Valud was was sacked, and they brought in Boran Tia, kind of a locally placed guy. He's coached a lot in in the Sudanese Premier League where a lot of the players are coming from, obviously. Seeing that move, do you feel like that is a positive move in the right direction? You know, they announced a provisional squad for the AFCON, um, so he's going to have quite, you know, a lot of time to train with these guys, hopefully, and prepare. Do you think that's kind of the right move, kind of changing manager? Uh, Well, with Hubert Valud, I think his contract was coming to an end uh, at the end of this month or beginning of January anyway. But... I never, I, I like for me to be honest, like going with a with a Sudanese tech, technical bench, it's never worked. Mm. Let's be honest, it's never worked. And now this guy has twenty seven days, and he's assembled a squad with eighteen new faces, mm. eighteen players who have never played for the Sudanese national team before, taking them to a major tournament with only twenty seven days of preparation. For me, it sounds like a recipe for for disaster. To be honest, like I think that he he should have went, he should have at least had. 75% of the current team that were in Arab Cup, at least with their experience, probably the players that are the, the most read, ready for the tournament. Uh, because the Sudanese league has also been stopped for like 45 days now, like mm-hmm. 45 days or two months. It hasn't been on. Like we haven't had the Sudanese league. So where has he got all these players from? Where are these 18 players coming from? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, sorry. Hello. Oh, sorry. Sorry, the connection yep, dropped. Sorry there. about that. No, no, you're yeah, good. No you're good. Um, so um, yeah, no, you're all right. Um, <laughs> can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. So as I was saying, uh, yeah. Um, so where are these new faces coming from? Um, it sounds like it's 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 a big risk to be honest. It's not a time to build. Uh, it's not a time to to bring in new players. Uh, like a, a a large capacity. Maybe you can bring in four or five different new faces. Maybe try them out see if they can cope with the current squad. But changing the squad in such a manner that he has is a big risk. And you're going into big games against Nigeria and Egypt with all of their stars. Like, this is going to be everyone who plays in Europe. So it's going to be as difficult as they get. To be honest, I don't expect much. I think we just should just participate for pride, to be honest. Try and, and like, try and fight. Try and, and like, serve. Hello. Oh, yeah. There we go. Sorry, yeah, it keeps dropping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Try, try and serve Sudan as best as possible, and let's hope for the best. Mm, absolutely. Um. And yeah, I mean, it's hard, to, hard to come into a tournament off the back of such, such a difficult situation. I mean, I guess the the format of the competition is is done 
kind of Sudan and some other teams a bit of a favor because you're you're in probably one of the most difficult groups with with both Nigeria and Egypt, you know, two of absolute heavyweights, you know, both in the same group. But because yeah. of that, that kind of all important third place kind of spot where you can kind of sneak into the next round, is there a sense that that first match you're playing Guinea-Bissau, you know, a team that, you know, from a Sudanese perspective is one you can beat. Is there a sense that if we could just get, get across that, get through, you know, the win there, then against uh, Nigeria and Egypt, we, just, we, we do as well as we can, keep the score low, maybe nick a point you know is is there kind of a sense that you can get get through it even though you're in such a difficult group because of the because of the format well i think yeah as you said guinea bissau is a game that we should look to win even though we had them in the, in the in the world cup qualifiers they were part of the group and they beat us in sudan to be honest so it's still a tough game uh, they have a lot of talent but in major tournaments if you're not able to beat teams like guinea bissau there's no point of being there, to be honest. I think Guinea-Bissau will have the same kind of vision. Mm-hmm. But when you're in a tough group and you have a third, cha- a third place chance of going through, you have to beat, uh, you have to beat teams like Guinea-Bissau. It's a must. So with that game, maybe if things go in our way, uh, you never know in football, um, they could get things right on the day. And hopefully they can get three points. Oh. <laughs> yep. yep. So they, hopefully they can get three points in that game, and then from there on, uh, they can they can they can maybe they can maybe fight for a point in those games against Nigeria and Egypt. It seems impossible or near impossible to be honest, especially with our recent performances. Mm. But as I said, you never know on the day. Um, as long as you fight, as long as you're tactically disciplined, you're defending well. These are the main things that you need to do against these big teams. So hopefully, I think I hope they can get things right, uh, and I hope if they manage, as I said, to beat Guinea-Bissau and then maybe nick a point, you never know. Or maybe even those three points could be enough if we don't lose heavily yeah. against the other two. If we don't lose heavily against those against Nigeria and Egypt, maybe the three points against against Guinea-Bissau can be enough to go through. And I think just by going through to the next round, we would have probably exceeded expectations, and and I think that would be a success for them. Mm, yeah. I mean, just, just looking at the squad, Musa, because, you know, the Sudanese team is a very locally based squad and, and is probably one of the squads that, you know, listeners and viewers of the AFCON will be most unfamiliar with. Could you just pick out kind of two, three, four players that we, we should kind of be keeping an eye on going into the tournament and kind of the players who got, got uh, Sudan to the tournament and will be the ones that pull them through it if they can get into that next round? Mm, well, there's a few f- familiar faces. Uh, for example, you've got Mohamed Abdurrahman. He's the main striker mm-hmm. for Sudan. He's the one that scored goals against Sao Tome, scored against Ghana, and he's going against South Africa in the main, in the three main games in qualification. He was the one that, that came up with the goods. So he's the main striker. He's the, he's the guy that everyone will be relying on to try and get the goals in the tournament. Uh, then, as I said, there's 18 new faces in this provisional squad. I know it's going to be cut down, but... Um, You've got also uh, in midfield, you've got um, Walid Dean. He's a, he's a very good centre midfield. Uh, I think he'll be one of, the, he, one of the box-to-box midfielders that Sudan will be relying on in midfield. Uh, then um, with regards to the new faces, was, there's also an exciting attacking midfielder left-footed. His name is Al-Sheikh Mohammed. Uh, he's, 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 uh, he's one of the players that came up uh, through the ranks at Al-Hilal. Uh, so he's 21 years old at the moment. Uh, very young, exciting talent. I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy that he's been included, and I hope he can make the the 23 man squad. He, he's a kind of a number 10 uh, attacking midfielder, 
Also, I hope that he can get some some minutes in the tournament and showcase what he's got. So, as I said, this is a stage for them to to show what they've got, really, because this is like the world is watching. No, not not many watch the Sudanese league, so however good you perform there, it's not really recognizable, to be honest. But these major tournaments, you have to make yourself count and you have to show what you have, and you have to help your country to 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 get the results. So, if if you're not performing in these kind of tournaments everything else becomes kind of useless to be honest so uh, i hope i hope they can perform on the day the final team group d guinea bissau have qualified for only their third ever africa cup of nations but incredibly it's their third time in a row having also qualified in 2017 and 2019. i was joined by erico costa who shared the reasons behind their success uh well to be honest i think there's been a great job uh done by the by the uh, Guinean uh, Federation, especially with uh, Basiru Kande at the at the helm, uh, he's taken over in January 2017, and since then he obviously, as you said, took them to three straight Afcon appearances uh, set in 2017, 2019, and now 2021. So it's been a pretty good ride for them, mostly uh, and. And mostly in that in that in the new generation, of course, there's a project which bases itself on uh, collecting players from uh, yeah playing in in the diaspora, major league, Portugal, I would say, yeah. And uh, there and there there are Guinean uh, players or players with Guinean heritage all over Europe, so they they're basing themselves on on the on that on that group of players and they've mm-hmm. made a pretty solid core of players as well so yeah they have a pretty much yeah a pretty good team now yeah there, there seems to be quite a lot of a lot of continuity kind of in the building of, of the squad and like you said Basiro Kande he's been there for you know a, a number of years and he was there even you know in the early 2000s for for a number of years so he's really been around that setup and you know in your opinion, do you think that that idea of you know relying on the diaspora? Obviously, Guinea Bissau is quite interesting because they have a lot of diaspora in, in Portugal and France. Um, so, do you think that you know that tactic of relying on a lot of diaspora is you know is is a good one and it's working out? Well, in their context, I think I think it is. I think it is because um, uh, football in Guinea Bissau and and Cabo Verde, especially, I'll I'll talk about those two because they're very close countries. Mm-hmm um they are um it is it's not that much it's not uh pretty rich to be honest their clubs are uh operate in a very small championship so uh qualification for uh calf competitions uh even is not uh as as we don't see that as often as well so yeah, I think I don't think we've ever seen it. To be honest, I don't think there's ever been a Guinea-Bissau club in the Champions League. So, yeah, that's major. That's mostly why uh, the Feder- the Guinean Federation is looking for players in the diaspora to to play for the national team. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, look, looking at the team, you know. Who you know? I look at the team. It's mainly guys based, you know, in the in the second division of Portugal. A couple in France. You know, who who are the guys who are the kind of standout players that we we should be looking looking at uh, during the Afcon? Well, there's a personal favorite for me. It's uh, Moreto Casama. He's a, um, mm-hmm. a midfielder for for Reims in in uh, Liga. 
yeah, he's really, really good. Uh, press resistant orchestrator for them. And I'm really, really looking forward to see him. He's a very, very pleasing player to watch, to be honest. I think we, we should have a lot of fun watching him play. Uh, excellent. And, and he, and you know, is he, he, he plays in the center midfield. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Uh, and, and, you know, ta- tactically, how, how do you think Guinea Bissau are going to end up playing? Obviously, you know, they, they have the one game against Sudan, a team that, you know, they're familiar with. They played them, you know, in the World Cup qualifiers, but also, you know, is of a similar level. But then, you know, obviously they've got the two big ones in, in Egypt and, and Nigeria. How, how do you think they're going to actually, you know, set up in, in the tournament? Well, uh, they they usually go for a uh, 4-2-3-1. So uh, I think, uh, and especially Basiru Kande for... Uh, the we uh, especially him, I think he'll stick to the winning recipe. Uh, he's been, but depend always depending always depending on players. He can he can always switch up, especially in the. You mentioned the the Sudan game. He went for three four three, uh, but with the players he has at the moment and the depth he, he he has especially in midfield there are a lot of mostly most of the key players most of the best players for guinea bissau uh are actually midfielders we have you have alpha smedu uh, muretu kasama also panuche kamara uh pele who played for monaco a couple of seasons uh yeah most yeah i think uh he'll base the team or the the starting starting eleven based around these players. So expect to see a two uh, a midfield three especially or three five two. I think I'll go for that. Yeah, I think that's something he would uh, he would he would rely on. Mm. Especially, yeah, that's it, it. It's at least it is recommendable for for him to rely on on such key players. Mm. And, and you know in in their last games you know they obviously did really well to qualify for the tournament you know coming second yeah. to, to Senegal and coming yeah. out of Congo but but in the World Cup uh, qualifiers they you know they really struggled to to score goals um, you know they they I think they only got five and six games and you know they still came second um, and you know were came ahead of, of you know quite a strong Guinean you know uh, Guinea Conakry side and as well as yeah. Sudan who are in their group um, you know if if they're gonna get goals who do you think is gonna be the guy who's gonna provide those. Well, um, there is a lot of buzz around uh, around Fred Men- uh, Frederick Mendy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the, he plays for Vitória de Setúbal. Uh, also, Jorginho, who played for uh, CSKA Sofia a couple of seasons ago. Uh, but I think the main their main threat in terms of goal scoring is Piketty. Uh, is a, he's a winger, a uh, very lively winger, to be honest. He played, actually, stu- he stood out for me in um, the tw- 2017 AFCON. Yeah, he's a very, very active winger. And I think, actually, he is the highest, the their active top goal scorer at the moment. He's the active uh, Guinea, Guinea-Bissau international with most goals, with seven. So I think he should not not be exactly the reference but i think he'll be the the main threat in terms of chance creation and also goal scoring 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I want to look at the look at the group now because, like we we mentioned, you know, they've got they've got Sudan, who they're more familiar with, and and Egypt yeah. and Nigeria. When, when you look at that group, you know, obviously with the changing of the format in 2019, now the, you know the third place team can qualify. You know, w- what do you think the hopes are in terms of getting through to the next stage for Guinea Bissau? Is it just kind of sneaking into that third place by beating Sudan, or do you think that they can actually kind of compete and and push Egypt and Nigeria? Uh. If they can keep it, I think if they can keep it uh, pretty solid at the back, in which I know they can, because looking at the results, they've held uh, Cameroon in both games, and actually in the past two half corners, they held Cameroon down pretty well, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, surprised Gabon in the opening day of the 27, 2017 uh, Afghan, holding them down to a 1-1 draw. So I think defensively, they can be uh, a pretty solid side. And adding to that and adding to the, to the individual quality that has appeared in the, in the, in the, recent, in the recent call-up, especially for this one, uh, I think we could expect a surprise or two from them. Uh, it's, not, uh, I, it's not something I would say it's certain, but... Uh, we should be hopeful for 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 that, and Egypt and Nigeria should not be complacent <laughs> when, when playing against them because they can they can give a good fight against stronger teams. But they always do. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we know you know Egypt are not at their strongest moment. You know exactly. Uh, and and exactly. Nigeria, you know, and Nigeria is going through a transition. And yeah, well, absolutely. Oh, that's they can pretty much win Sudan. So. Yeah, even though Sudan's team is quite quite strong as well, I mean, it can be they can make it tight for and they can sneak in either or in second or or as a third best third best place team. Will the Super Eagles put their troubles behind them and dominate in Group D? Will Egypt learn to be a team not built by Salah but instead built around him? Or will the underdogs Sudan and Guinea-Bissau pull off an upset that we all know they're perfectly capable of doing? Let us know what you think, and please do get in touch with us and leave us a review. That's all from us here on The Whistle. Goodbye.